What is what you like to do? Being friendly to toward what is arising, even yes. if what's arising is not what I want, and it seems wrong, and yeah. you know, shouldn't be happening. <laughs> so it's a good practice. I am not quite there yet to be able to allow my feelings to happen and to watch them. I'm at the step that I'm allowing my feelings to happen, but I don't do a very good job of watching. And so I sometimes think it's maybe because just recently I, I started paying attention and so I'm just trying to be patient and to put more effort and to do what I can with the hope that it's going to change and we'll see how that goes. Oftentimes, I know Alma you spoke about blame and I blame this on not giving my, myself enough space or time to, to deal with these feelings but moving on to the next thing and just keep moving and like a little hamster spinning, 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 but not stopping to take a look around to see what happens. But I am to pass <coughs> the point where, in the point where I see the, the specs and then I see the feelings and now I'm kind of approaching slowly, not disappointed of, you know, not being able to do that. It is what it is and we'll see how this changes. And then I had something when you were talking about sitting with the uncertain. At my everyday life, I do a lot and this is with my work to help people to be safe. And it's very difficult to not be able to promise someone that they will be safe or to give them good advice on how to be safe. You know, you try to give some advice and you try to look at so many different factors that take place. And the reality is, I don't know if they'll be safe or not. And it's very difficult to sit with that uncertainty as well as for the people who are in this is harder than for me because they're the ones that are actually in the potential risk. So I do have a lot of practice with uncertainty and sitting in it. I think I do all right of just observing it and reflecting on it and doing the best that I can with what I have and just the aspect of my work. There's other things in life that freak me out because they're not certain. And lastly, you talk about the five-year plan and I just reminded <coughs> me of a memory I had. My husband is American, I'm from Bulgaria. And before we got married, the first family members from his family that we met, we had lunch with them, and this were his aunts, and they said, one of them said to me, so what is your plan for the next five years? Where are you going to be five years from now? And so I thought, I even thought she was joking. I looked at my husband to kind of check and be like, I don't know, is this a family joke? Is, nobody has ever asked me this before, I don't think. Neither I have thought, what is my five-year plan? And I really had none. And then I realized that that question was actually quite serious. And I know I didn't make a very good impression on them by just taking it as a joke and uh, <laughs> responding with like, well, in five years I'm going to do this and that and I'm going to work here and there and that's going to be my house and that's going to be the car I drive. I... So then later, now that I've lived here for a while, I have heard this question other times. And I know that people are serious when they ask it, so I kind of play it cool. <laughs> I know what I say. I still don't have the five-year plan, but I thought maybe it's worth to have one just in case when people ask me, so I sound smart or I sound professional. <laughs> you know, I'm like, maybe it's just worth it to have it, which, I don't know, haven't had the time or energy to dedicate on it yet. I think that, I, I don't know about other countries, but I think that's like an American thing, that you have to know what your future is, because they do that to you in school when you're growing up, what, what are you going to be when you grow up, you know, and what are you going to be doing in 10 years? 
whatever you thought you were going to be doing at 12, you're not doing at 20-something, 30-something, you know. It's never the same as you pictured it, so it's kind of, I guess, like a silly question because it's probably not going to ever happen the way you thought it was. The impermanence thing, right? But the other thing about, like, the shooting and stuff for me is I always feel like I can't, I'm not supposed to allow myself to feel about it because it didn't happen to me or anyone I know, so what business do I have feeling sad or angry or something, you know, like, I don't know. And I don't think that's fair to myself, but it's something that's, like, it didn't affect me. And if I have emotions about it, doesn't that make me, like, hyper-emotional or, you know, taking on someone else's personal things? Can I just respond to that? You know, I think each of us has all kinds of conditioning that we get from our culture, our parents, our families of origin, our belief system, that we're always navigating. It's not like we ever have a time when that's not operating. But what I think is really helpful is to, is to begin to have some discernment about what of this stuff is actually useful and what of this stuff no longer is serving. And, you know, as a human being, you have total right to feel. But whatever you feel... You know, that's your right. And however you've got an idea that it's not okay for you to feel, that's an idea that's on top of the reality, which is that you do feel. So my encouragement would be not to lay another idea that you shouldn't have the idea, but just to notice that the idea is there, but not to let that make it so that you can't feel, so that you can have both. You can have the idea that you shouldn't feel, that you have no right to feel, and you still have all the feelings, that you maybe find a little bit more ability to give permission to be there and to know what they are. Because this is your world. This is where you live. Even if it was, even if you'd heard the news and you were in California, even if you were living in California, you have a right to feel whatever you feel about people who are wherever they're at. And the interesting thing is, is that the more we feel connected to each other and the less we feel hindered by our ability to feel, then the faster we can move through the kind of resistances and the more we can come to what is the right response to this. You know, what does that look like? In response to something both of you said, you were saying that you had trouble sitting and watching a feeling. I've spent a lot of my life having trouble allowing myself to feel things. I've been just naturally a very sensitive person since I was younger, but over time, I guess, influences from people and parents, religion, I got this idea sometimes that some things were right and wrong, or sometimes I was too sensitive and I shouldn't be getting so upset at something. So I've spent a lot of my life very controlled, very kind of suppressed, and found that that didn't make me happy. <laughs> was very depressed for a very long time, and it took a long time to stop doing that to myself. But the opposite effect was I spent all that time guarding myself from everything I was feeling. But then I opened up, and I suddenly started feeling everything and didn't know what to do. So that's kind of why I ended up starting meditating, because for a long time I kept having people tell me, you know, meditation would probably be very good for you. I kind of had the idea that they were right, but, but yeah, that's the whole reason why I started 
meditating was basically because I have all these feelings and I would start to feel a panic sometimes because I didn't know what to do with it. And I spent a lot of my life thinking I had my whole life defined and knew how everything was supposed to be. And I, since then I've realized I don't have it all figured out. And realizing that was kind of scary too. So I needed to find somewhere to learn how to sit with it, basically. Some way to manage it. I just kind of realized that how I was managing it, or mismanaging it, was not working. So I can relate to that whole, like, I shouldn't feel this way, because I got upset too when when the fires were happening, when shooting happened. I've gotten upset about a lot of different things that had nothing to do with me. And I kept thinking, why am I upset? It's, it's not my friends, it's not my family, I don't know these people. Why am I taking this on? But I like what you were saying about how it's not what you're feeling, but it's how you're dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Like, you can be angry, you can be sad, you can be anything, but if you don't use it in a way to harm yourself or to harm others, then it's, it's okay. The feeling itself isn't wrong, which I still struggle with a lot because I've had this idea in my head that there's all this right and wrong and good and bad and basically creating those value systems on feelings when I'm going to feel them anyways. So I, I like that. Can I respond I've also dealt with just unbelievable levels of sensitivity. And a lot of the time, my sensitivity was not matched or mirrored or uh, met with uh, responsiveness around me. So I, I heard a lot, I'm too sensitive, or I'm too emotional, or, I'm too intense, you're too intense, you know. And so I can relate to the kind of self-imposition of, well, if I'm too intense, I should be less intense, you know. Or if I'm too emotional, I should be less emotional. Or if I'm too sensitive, I should be less sensitive until I began to realize, well, actually, it was their problem. It actually was not too bit of it. Was their, it was their problem that they were putting onto me that I had internalized, but I didn't need to. But what I have taken is, you know, I'm 50 years old this year, and it's taken me, you know, much of these years to learn how to manage my sensitivity, ground it, how to protect myself, how to know what is mine that I'm taking on, what is somebody else's that I'm taking on, and how to let it move through me. And I've developed all kinds of resources to do that, including working with energy medicine and doing qigong and working how, you know, for me, I feel an enormous sense of support and relief when I go to these Garden of the God rocks and press my body into them and I let them hold it all. It's like I don't have to worry about how sensitive I am. They can carry it. So it's like the rocks for me are a portal that allows me to both accept to know, to accept, and to let go of whatever it is that I'm feeling. And I come back from that, and my nervous system feels more settled and balanced. I feel much more relaxed. I feel completely much more comfortable, because everything is okay in that context. So I've developed resources to deal with phenomenal levels of sensitivity. Like sometimes I feel, when I go out on the street, you know, I'm processing a thousand times more pieces of information every time I see people than most people are. Because I'm not just seeing the color and the shape, but I'm reading energetic patterns of what I'm getting from them. 
And so, like, it's often the case, like, you know, I was with uh, Sharon in Conway's house, Chloe's house today. You know, they've got books and books and books and books and books and books and books all over the house, you know. And usually what happens for me at the end of the day is I'm so blasted with the impact of what I've received that what I need to do is watch the trees in the wind or the clouds in the sky or see green. I cannot take in any more information. So I can read books when I've emptied myself out. You know, I'm not actually dealing with sensory overload. But when I'm dealing with that, I cannot read. I need to let my system release. And so I've just learned, well, that's the way my system is. That's totally the way my system is. And if I don't listen to it, it gets really worse. And if I do listen to it, it doesn't take that long. And then I can sort things out and do what I need to do, you know. But I I cannot impose an idea about how I'm supposed to be onto what I'm actually dealing with. Now, one book that somebody shared with me earlier this year was a book called Highly Sensitive People. And it's actually the physiological differences between people who are neurologically wired up to be sensitive and the way everybody else processes things. And there are very specific things neurologically and biochemically that highly sensitive people deal with that people who are not don't have a clue about. And it's like when you know it, you know it, and then you need to learn how to navigate it. But most of the people in the world that I I grew up in did not understand the level of sensitivity that I was navigating. So I had to learn on my own. But I can certainly tell when somebody else is really sensitive. You know, and with men it's really fascinating because oftentimes men are exceptionally sensitive and they look really tough. You know, they got big muscles or lots of tattoos and they look really tough. And they are so sensitive, they can only hardly, just barely cope with how sensitive they are. Who wants this? I was just going to say thank you for saying that, because I can't relate to all of the ways that you're sensitive, but it's a relief to hear somebody say that they're sensitive and have had to find ways of dealing with it. Yeah. It's, it's a relief to hear that, just because I've spent so much of my time like you say, like trying to say, well, it's not supposed to be this way, but you can't make it not be this way. You are who you are. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I much prefer to, I mean, I've, I've tried to develop the attitude of not fighting something and using it as a lesson instead of saying it's wrong. There's something I can learn from it. So I figure I am the way I am and everybody is the way they are because they're supposed to be. So I'd rather appreciate that and learn how to basically live and use it to my own good instead of being taken down by not handling it. But I really appreciate hearing somebody else who gets it. Does the book have suggestions as to how to deal with it besides describing the problem? Yes. I just, on what you said about men, it's still a lot that little boys are told you shouldn't do this, you're a boy. You shouldn't do this, you're a man. You shouldn't do this, you're going to go out to be a man. You're not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to be afraid. Don't be a, you know, and call them something, whatever. So there is still a lot that we hear about this, and it's kind of sad just to hear, you know, people, and even sometimes, I mean, just out in the community and their parents or teachers or just people seeing this thing. Why are they supposed to be scared? Something happened, they're scared. 
they hear this and I guess people grow up and try to cut the muscles or the tattoos to help them to finish somehow for sure or to, to fit in you know to be accepted to not have to be made fun of for being crazy yeah. and figure this one how do you do that to girls and women and they like we're not supposed to be angry ever you know we're supposed to be nice and understanding all the time and take care of everybody else so I think they tell boys not to cry and girls not to be mad or something like that you know, I thought it was interesting, getting back to disasters in the area, you know, they have, you listen to the radio and there's bombings and people getting killed all over the world all, all the time, how can you, this one, for me, I don't think that what happened in the world was any closer home than something that happened in the Middle East, but you can't feel bad for, for everybody, but those people have families, you know, in the Middle East, you know, you hear about bombings and things like that, everyone you know, that gets killed there, they have people that love them, they have families, so... You can feel compassion for that, but I mean, it's the only difference with this one, I guess, is that it's it's closer to home and the, the media makes a big deal out of it. And then the other thing, just as far as um, looking at feelings, for me, it seems like day to day you meditate and you don't know if you're making any progress. You just kind of you meditate and do your best to, to watch your breath, watch your mind move around, and do all kinds of different things. But then after you've been doing it for a while, you kind of look back and see, only in retrospect, can you actually see that anything can happen. So, right. just a couple of comments. Well, I think you talk this evening. We have been talking about practice on all kinds of different levels. Sean talked about how to sit and how to be in it presently. And it just reminds me that my practice is not about how to deal with others, but how to deal with me. So often, uh, in the beginning, I often thought it was this will help me figure out how to deal with everybody else out there that's pissing me off and not make me so mad at them. But in the reality, it's really, again, getting in touch with where those feelings are coming from and being okay with me and remembering that I'm enough in my meditation. So thank you. And it also reminds me that, you know, hurt people. And so when I become more compassionate and loving and accepting towards myself, I can see things in our community and worldwide about there are hurt people hurting other people and that all of them need love and compassion. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you for your speech uh, tonight, for your wonderful speech tonight. Never mind that you fly from California today. Your speech were wonderful. And I will say one great thank you to you. And one more thing, uh, when I come for my second visit here, first visit I know only Sharon uh, Conway and their daughter. The second visit, when I started here, I go to their houses and there were the, the group there. I met there and uh, I met Steve, one other lady who is not here, I don't remember her name. And I see these people, they are very gentle, they are gen generous. And my daughter offered me to come to this uh, meditation here. And when I came here, I met Beate, I met David, and I met Melissa. They are all generate people, and I am very glad to uh, be in this uh, community. So, when I was in Bulgaria, I never meditated before, but I live very near to a forest, to a wild forest. And very near, say, about five miles. And sometimes I go in the forest for a walk. It's wild, for, wild forest. There are no electricity, no internet, nothing. Only trees, grass, birds, sometimes animals. So I feel very happy to stay there because I release there. 
I be quiet. Mm. When I come here for the meditation, I have the similar feeling and uh, I'm very glad to be in this community with these gentle people. So I say once again, thank you for everybody. If you, if you don't, I say very well in English, I'm very sorry for that. Beautiful. Thank you once again. Beautiful. Well, it's 20 past nine, so maybe we can wrap up. Yeah. So I'd like to just end the evening with a guided metta, guided loving-kindness meditation for a few minutes. Yeah. So again, if you can sit in a way that just feels relaxed and you are happy to be there for a few minutes, yeah, and just feel yourself, your weight on the ground, just take note of the shape that your body is occupying. And there isn't a right shape or a wrong shape. No. Just get a feeling for the space that we're occupying. And just notice whatever feelings are present in your body. There might be hunger or sleepiness. You might be a little bit thirsty. The cool breeze from the fan, you might feel that on your eyes or on your forehead. Your hands may feel hot or cool. You might feel tired. But whatever it is that you're feeling, just see if it's possible to, to meet any of those feelings with a kindness, a welcome. There isn't a and asking them to be different. There's just a receiving and a welcoming. This welcoming that we can bring to our body and to our feelings in this way, we can also extend to the whole of ourselves, the ideas that we have about ourselves, the history, the things that we like or don't like, our preferences, our strengths, our weaknesses, our memories. So there can be a, like a, a universal welcoming of everything without fixating or focusing any on any particular thing. Caring and a warmth and an interest, allowing. And as Damien was just speaking about the gentle people here, we can share this welcome, this kindness, this warmth with everybody who's in the circle right now and the people who needed to leave a little bit earlier, whose names I can't remember and the people who come here regularly. So that there's a, a community of people that is growing, uh, sharing together, interested in meditating and discussing things together. And we can share this warmth and this kindness out to the people who are driving in the cars that we don't know who they are. We can share it with people that we love, our families, our friends, our relatives. And we can even share this feeling of warmth, this care, this interest with, with people who are hurting, who hurt others, as Sharon mentioned. It's not that we condone their behavior, but when somebody is suffering, they're in pain. What's needed is kindness, understanding. And so we can take the wish for kindness, bring it to ourselves and share it. Share it around so that all beings everywhere whether we like them or we don't like them, whether we agree with their politics or not, whether they're gentle people or coarse, there can be a, a wishing well that's not just a, a nice thought, but really something that's coming from our heart, a warmth. So just coming back to our own body sitting here, I want to just change the theme from kindness to sharing the blessings 
coming and practicing together with other people who are interested is rare and important. And then we have a sense of a way to approach what we experience where we no longer suffer, it's priceless. And if there's blessings or benefit that comes from our sharing in this way together, may all beings in all directions benefit from that. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.